Good morning, sunlight. Let me pray to get us started as we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We ask wherever we are gathered that you would be there, that your presence would be felt. God, as we look at Luke chapter 7 today, we're going to see different characters and how Jesus responds to them. Help us to, to have soft hearts to what your word says. Help us to see opportunities for us to be changed and transformed, to be more like Jesus in the situation. Help us to see the forgiveness that he provides. Help us to see opportunities in our neighborhoods, um, over Thanksgiving, opportunities to uh, gather with families and friends, and be able to see uh, ways that we can be like Jesus to those we're around. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I would like to welcome you here to our Sunday morning online service. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Now the Gospel of Luke is, is one of the four Gospels, and I'm really excited because last week we are actually in the Gospel of Luke. I'm really excited about being there again. We're in a series called Attack of the Heart. And if I were to summarize this year, I would say that our hearts are under attack under attack from different emotions, whether it be depression or anxiety or frustration, or maybe it's, it's an inflexibility in our heart to see opportunities. So today we're going to look at a life that has been written off, one that was supposed to sit on the sidelines and be a spectator, but ended up becoming the key player in this narrative. A life that was under attack and they were under attack because their pursuit of Jesus. So as we pursue Jesus in this time, we might be under attack from the outside, from others. It may look differently than we think. Maybe we just need to adapt to what's going on. So if you have our app, you can click the, the header at the top of uh, the app, uh, top of the feed, and you'll have the notes from this morning. Um, you can do that on another device as you're watching online. And... Uh, You'll be able to look at that and uh, follow along uh, with that. That also has what is considered our online bulletin, you might say, or, or how you can connect in different ways and different announcements about what's going on. Today we're, we're going to talk about something, and I'm going to pose a question. And that question you'll get the answer to today. How large is your debt? Now, I'm going to ask a few questions, and some of these you're going to feel really comfortable answering but we'll see in a few seconds that you won't feel as comfortable. So how many of you, the first thing that you went into debt for was a car? How many of you? How many of you was it a house? Maybe you have a mortgage. How, how many of you it was a house? How many of you have never been in debt? Now comment below, where this is online, comment below, tell us what it was. What, which one of those three categories do you fit in? Financial debt, though, is sometimes an awkward thing. You might, you might be okay with talking about those questions, but we really don't like talking about our financial debt. Those questions might make you feel comfortable answering, but how about these questions? How much is left on your mortgage? You know exactly, like what, how, many, how many dollars is left on your mortgage? How much do you have in credit card debt? What do you owe on your car? Now that's a bit more awkward, right? It's a little bit different than just saying general things about debt. Because many people have mortgages or many people have car payments. But getting down to the nitty-gritty of what debt we have becomes awkward. 
And it's the same with sin. We're in this endless competition to hide our sin, to say our debt is low, but Jesus is going to show us in this passage that your level of sin doesn't matter in comparison to his greater power to forgive. To quote the Apostle Paul from Romans 1, or 6, 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we, how can we continue to sin? We're not meant to continue building up sin once we know Jesus. We're just not. No matter what sins we bring, he's got greater grace to forgive us. So let's go into the passage. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And I'm going to read to verse 40 right now, and then we'll continue uh, the rest of the passage in a minute. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with him. This is Jesus that he's asking to eat with. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So this starts, this narrative starts with, with Jesus being asked to eat with the Pharisees. And he accepts. The Pharisees were a group that strictly kept the Old Testament law. We really need to understand who the Pharisees are here. They were the, the religious rule followers that loved to speak of their own righteousness. They segregated themselves from anyone considered a sinner. We can't get near them at all. The word Pharisee comes from the word that means to separate or divide. They were completely separate. Knowing who the Pharisees are helps us understand the weight of what Jesus does in this passage. They, they would have seen this interaction as really negative. They would have seen it as something that they wouldn't want to have happened. So once he gets to the dinner, a woman of the city, it says, a sinner, comes in after hearing Jesus is there. Verse 37 and 38 show us the reaction of this woman worshiping Jesus. And this is my first point. It's so important that we know that God desires our deepest heart in worship. God desires our deepest heart in worship. The woman comes into the room. The custom of the time was that those who were on the fringe socially could listen to the discussion on the edges of the room. It was almost like there was an open door policy, but only if you stayed on the sidelines. You couldn't actually become part of the dinner. But she didn't do that. She was supposed to be a spectator, but when she stepped forward, she became a key player, and it bothered the guests. The woman was out of place because she touched Jesus. It was, it was such a surprise. It was a jaw-dropping surprise to the audience that she came anywhere close to Jesus. She never speaks. It's very interesting that the, the, one of the key characters in this passage never speaks in verse 37, 38, but her actions speak volumes to those around her. She doesn't speak. 
She was worshiping Jesus in the deepest recesses of her heart. And, and she was a sinner. And, and I, I want to make this clear. That was a moral indicator. It was, an, it was in that culture, that was actually worse than some type of ceremonial indicator. Like the lepers, which were unclean because of their skin disease. The, the moral indicator meant that she was morally wrong before God. But the lepers were, were ceremonially unclean. She weeps and her tears cover Jesus' feet. Tears of joy, tears of repentance. Her actions would be more acceptable in our culture today. However, in that culture, it wasn't acceptable. If you notice, she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears, or, or it wipes her, his te- her tears with her hair. She pulls her hair down, and when she does that, putting down the hair in the presence of anyone but her husband was grounds for divorce, according to Jewish teachings. She kisses the feet of Jesus over and over again. She doesn't care for what else is going on around her. That's where our worship needs to be. The word used for kiss here is the same used to describe when the prodigal son comes back and the father kisses the son. It's an intense showing of a great affection. She's responding to being accepted after so much rejection in her life. There's so many things that we can be rejected by, but Jesus is there waiting for us with forgiveness. She anoints Jesus with expensive perfume, giving him the most precious gifts that she has to give. At this point, can you imagine after I said the Pharisees, they literally were the people that separate, separate and divide. They're going to have some issues about what's going on. Specifically, we have here Simon's thoughts in the passage. If this man, if Jesus was a prophet, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was that was touching him, for she is a sinner. That's kind of important, right? How do we know Simon's thoughts? And I have to, I have to admit, we know Simon's thoughts because Jesus shows that he is God because he knows Simon's thoughts. He knows what he's thinking. He knows how the Pharisees think. So Jesus decides to respond. He responds to the unspoken, rude, and sinful thoughts. And Simon lets him. He says, teacher, speak it. Tell me, speak it. And and I don't imagine Simon was really ready for what was going to happen next. Because I don't know if he would have been so easy to respond there. He was cold-hearted. He had no grace for the woman. He thought, once a sinner, always a sinner. Jesus, on the other hand, proved that he was not just a prophet, but he was the son of God by knowing both who the woman is and Simon's thoughts and what he was thinking. This part of the passage left me with some reflection questions that I I feel like we need to ask ourselves, and we need to ask ourselves probably daily, how do you react when a known sinner walks in? Someone you know is, is in sin currently. Do you feel that you have to confront them or do you leave it to others? Do you only see the sin instead of the person? You know, sometimes we talk about seeing the person and not the sin, but really it goes the other way around. We tend to see only the sin instead of the person. So when someone you know is struggling, do we root for the sinner who turns to Jesus or do we question their authenticity? Are they real about things or is this just 
uh, they'll change overnight. It's just going to go back to normal. Whatever normal is, do we question that? God desires our deepest heart in worship. And part of that is encouraging others and pursuing others to follow Jesus in whatever situation they're in through repentance. This woman did that. And we're going to see what Jesus thought about that. Let's continue. Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 50, where Jesus is, is talking back to Simon with this, this short parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When one could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? That's Jesus talking. So Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see the woman? I entered the house. He gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are many, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this? Who is this that forgive, even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There is a lot going on here. Jesus starts with a mini parable about a debt. Two people owe money. One is 50 days wages or 10 weeks wages. The other is 500 days wages or 100 weeks wages. One debt was 10 times worse from the looks of things. The person that, owe, they, that owed, they owed money to forgave the debt. It didn't matter if it was the small one or the large one. And then Jesus comes with this question. And this was kind of a trap because he's trying to catch Simon in, in being a Pharisee, in, in relying on his own righteousness. Jesus said, who loves him more? Who loves the person that forgave the debt, the money lender? Simon answers, and I, I've never heard someone say, I suppose, without hesitating. So he hesitantly says, I suppose for whom canceled the larger debt? I think he knew what Jesus was trying to say. And I think he stepped right in to where Jesus had caught him. So I have a question. How aware of, of how great your debt is? How aware of you, or how aware are you of how great your debt is? Simple as that. Are you aware of it? The woman and Simon seemed to know. They knew where they were at. I don't think there was any question of who was what person in the parable. That's what leads me to my second point. God's grace through Jesus pays our debt. It's through Jesus that our debt is paid, and that is the debt of sin. Let me break down the parable a little bit. First, the woman and Simon have debts they couldn't pay. One was more religious and following all the ceremonial law, and the other one wasn't following any of it, and we're not really sure what, why they called her a sinner. There's many different conclusions that can be drawn from that. The money lender in the parable is God. The debt is sin. 
the Pharisee owes less, the woman owes more. Forgiveness of debt is forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness generates the woman's response. She loves because she's been forgiven much. Jesus' point here that I think we all need to hear is that both Simon and the woman couldn't pay their debt. They couldn't pay it. Simon and the woman couldn't pay their debt. They were both broke and broken. Jesus, in verses 44 through 46, breaks down the problem we all have. We can pursue our own way, earning our own destiny, uh, eternal destiny. We can look good on the outside, be, be focused on our own glory. Pride comes before a fall would be a good description of Simon here. We try to use different currencies to get to heaven. Simon had a couple of these, and many of us have one or the other. So let me describe these. Some try the currency of integrity, and they say things like this. I'm the only honest person I know. I must be good enough. And that's how they try to earn their way to heaven. And they're earning their way because they're people of integrity, so why wouldn't God accept us? But Jesus is nowhere in the picture. And Jesus is the one who paid their debt. Some try their domestic currency. And I think domestic currency, you might say something like this. While everyone else's life is rated R or worse, I have a G-rated life. I'm faithful to my wife. I spend time with my kids. And that's all I think I need. And so you, you have this perfect domestic life, but in reality, there's other parts of, of sin and struggles that you have. And you think you can earn your way to heaven because this is what you did in that area. Still others might use something like social currency. Social currency sounds like this. I give to the needy, and I volunteer to the homeless shelter, and I raise money for the pregnancy center. There should be more people like me, that I know, and I know heaven needs me. Well, you can do all those things and not know Jesus and not repent of your sin. You can do those things. Are there people that are generous that don't know Jesus? Yes. Are there people that do good things but do not know Jesus and have not repented of their sin? And they're doing it for themselves. And that's what that currency looks like. Or you can get caught in, in what I would say is the most dangerous currency. It's the quicksand of currencies. It's church currency. And you might say things like this. I live at church. I'm in every group I possibly can. I volunteer twice a week. I'm good. I am good. I must be accepted. But if we can learn anything from this passage, if we can learn one thing, God does see these things. But our individual morality still leaves us broke. We're still broke. The woman knew this, but I can tell you Simon didn't seem like he knew it. Knew it. The woman knew this, and God paid all she owed. We can realize we can never be good enough like, like the woman, and she did while she was crying tears, repenting for chasing her own glory. The same tears that turn into joy. Jesus makes it clear Simon was trying to earn his way. He, he, he knew he was the, the 50 sinner versus the 500 sinner. So how do you see yourself? Are you, are you the 50 denarii sinner, just kind of a sinner? Or, or are you the 500 sinner that realizes there's no other way except through Jesus? You can't earn back that debt that needs to be paid. Verses 44 through 46 also show us that Simon did less than he could have done for Jesus. 
Jesus tell him, tells him, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. To contrast, the woman came to Jesus and showed respect. Those were things that would happen at that time. You know, you think about washing feet. And I don't know, now our culture, we would never wash feet, right? We have socks, we have shoes. Sometimes we wear flip-flops at the beach, you know? But the reality is, in that culture, they wore sandals, and it was on dusty roads, and your feet were dirty. They were gross. And so when you come into someone's household, the greatest humble action you could do was wash their feet. And it was common and customary, especially in Jewish culture, to do that. And so the woman did it with her tears because Simon didn't do it at all. Just because the Pharisee came in with church currency didn't mean he was going to respect Jesus. Didn't mean he was going to do that and, and would do that. And he doesn't. And so... That leaves me with another question. Are we doing less than we can do for Jesus? Are we just kind of sitting partially in? We're, we're not doing everything we can for Jesus? Which leads me to my third point. God forgives the humble. God forgives the humble. Super simple. God forgives the humble. Jesus shows raw authority here. When Jesus touches our life, he is the one that we should be doing the maximum for. We should do more than the minimum, right? When we're closer to Jesus and his forgiveness, we recognize our sin. We realize that we're at, to, to, at fault, and we have a debt that needs to be paid, and it's paid through Jesus. God honors the humble, and he forgives them. So are you like Simon and self-righteous, or are you humble like the woman? Love towards Jesus is the evidence of an awareness, a reception, and a response to previous forgiveness. Jesus does what only God can do here. And he says, your sins are forgiven. What do the people do? They start asking, who is this guy? Of course they're asking who is this guy. Because in that culture, the only one that could forgive sins was God. And so he's there. And they're like, um, looking around, who is this guy? It's impossible to be neutral towards Jesus. You have to take a side. You have to take a position. You have to do something. It's not like other things in this world. Like, I mean, you could, you could take a, a position on whether Star Wars is good or not, or if you've ever seen it or not, or if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings or whatever, but that doesn't matter because you don't really have to take a position on that. You do have to take a position on Jesus. It's impossible to be neutral. It's either one end or the other. Our faith, though, in Jesus brings salvation and peace. The woman's actions show she had no bounds to her worship of Jesus. Faith saved her. Her love followed her faith, and peace was the ultimate goal. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. His heart is gentle and humble. Let's have the very heart of Jesus in how we approach life. I think this world needs a lot more of gentle and humble people. And I know in gentleness and humility, sometimes things are going to happen that we don't like, don't want, we have strong convictions about. But we have to remember that there's certain hills we need to die on if we're a believer. 
And one of those things is that the gospel is preached, that Jesus paid our debt, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is, as he said himself, is the way, the truth, and the life. Those are things that are more important than almost than anything else. And so we have to remember that when we approach others in, in gentleness and humility. Do we really love him? And I'm talking about Jesus. Do we really love him? Do we see our weakness? Do we see how, I mean, honestly, just, just one year that's been very different, do we see how many, how many of us are weak right now? Do we see our weakness? Do we see how much we need Jesus' presence in our life and his empowerment, his encouragement to stir up our soul? Do you come to him for salvation, restoration, strength, and encouragement? Do we do that? Are we doing that? It's so easy right now to think I only need this sometimes or I'm, I, I don't like watching something online or I don't like this or I don't like that. And I have to say, this year is the year of not your preference. That just seems like what's happening. No one's getting what they would have preferred to happen. The few maybe, maybe are really excited and there's a, a, a majority of people that for whatever reason are just wanting whatever's going on to end. And I would tell you this, The woman that came in to worship Jesus didn't care what was going on around her. Honestly, didn't care who was in the room. And and didn't care about how she would be perceived. She just worshipped from the deepest part of her heart. So I I have a question for you. Are you like the woman who worshipped from the deepest part of her heart? Even though she was under attack from others. Can you imagine being in that room and, and she comes in, she throws herself at Jesus' feet, she's crying, she's weeping, she's wiping his feet with her hair, she's pouring the perfume on her feet, and everyone is in the dinner party is turning and whispering like, who does she think she is? What is she doing? Why is she doing that? And it's almost like this gigantic gossip circle of like why how could she ever do that there's a ton of judgment from the crowd and yet she still worships or are you like simon that does the bare minimum in your worship of jesus he just kind of yeah i'll have jesus in the room but i'm also not going to wash his feet i'm not going to greet him i'm not going to do the things that were customary i'm not going to honor him you know i I'm ashamed to say that there are moments of minimum that invade my life, much like Simon's life. Because the profile of a Pharisee is a person that's religious and uses church currency. And that can be very easy for a pastor. I mean, every week I get to study God's word. I get to. It's so exciting. I get to. And it can just become something that, oh, I earned this. The problem with that is, even though we are called to be in God's word. When we're using that as church currency, that's when there's a switch that's flipped. If we're doing it longingly, like the woman was when she came to Jesus, she longed to love Jesus 
just at the base part of who she is. And sometimes that means getting away, getting away and being in the Word, or getting away and being in prayer, or if your life is super chaotic and all the kids are home from school, getting an opportunity that you get to take a walk and do a prayer walk or something like that. And since it's easy as a pastor to use church currency, it's not accepted though. Only the blood of Jesus is accepted for forgiveness for sins. So I'm going to close with the question I started with. And I, I think this is the question we need to answer if we're going to continue to pursue and follow Jesus. While our hearts are under attack, how large is your debt? How large is your debt? What does it look like? What has God saved you from? And maybe you actually want to comment below and just be like, God saved me from this. Whatever God saved you from. Whatever, whatever sin was a struggle before. But I'm going to add one more question. And this is the even more important question. Who paid your debt? Who paid your debt? Who paid your debt? And I hope I've made a case here this morning that it's not you. If it's you and you think it's you, then you're probably headed in the wrong direction. In fact, you are headed in the wrong direction. Jesus' blood paid it all. I think of the hymn, Jesus paid it all, and then the next lyric goes, all to him I owe. And that's what we owe. We owe that. But Jesus paid it already. And that's our response. So what? Why does this matter? And why does this matter on, we're doing church online, why does it matter now? Because you're watching this in your home, or at a friend's house, or at someone else's house, or maybe you're out somewhere, you could be out watching on your phone. So what? Because God desires the deepest, our deepest heart in worship. It doesn't matter the place. It matters that he has our hearts. His grace through Jesus pays our debt. It is only through Jesus that our debt is paid. And until we realize that and live based on that fact, we're going to struggle with all those currencies. We might have a ton of integrity. Or we might really be good at home. We might have a great domestic currency. Or, or maybe we have good social currency. We're always doing something in the community. Or maybe we're always at church Bible studies and, and everything. Those, those are all good things but they still leave us broke without Jesus. Because his grace, God's grace, through Jesus, pays our debt. So when we're under attack, that's what we're worshiping is the fact that Jesus paid our debt and everything we have, all to him I owe. And then lastly, so what? God forgives the humble. God forgives the humble. We are a people that so easily push away being humble. In Jesus' day, before Jesus' time and the way he used it in teaching, the word humility was actually a negative attribute, and, and Jesus made it a positive attribute. Because humility is realizing that maybe, maybe you don't know. You know, I, I've, had, I've had professors in school go, I don't know. I'm going to try to find out for you, but I, I don't know. It's the most revealing thing when as a believer sometimes I can say, 
I don't know. But I'm going to go in the Word, and I'm going to, I'm going to look. I'm going to try to figure out what God's saying in this passage or that passage or what's, what's going on here. And God forgives the humble. Look at the woman. It actually says there that Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. And then the people are whispering like, who can do this? Well, Jesus was saying he was God and God was forgiving the humble. The woman showed humility. Simon did not. Simon said, if he's a prophet, why would he be around? He wasn't even, he was saying he wasn't even a prophet. And then Jesus proves that he's God. God forgives the humble. So if you hear anything this Sunday morning is that we as a church need to be humble people and realize that, that right now, in our generation, this is an unprecedented thing. It's not for, for the span of history. It's not for uh, our grandparents' generation. There's so many different things that have happened in the world. But for right now, in this generation, this is definitely unprecedented. And we need to be more humble with how we approach things. God forgives the humble. So let me pray as, as we close this part of our service. But I want to I encourage you afterwards. There's some questions that we're going to post in the feed. Look at those questions. Probe your heart. The deepest longings of our heart should be for Jesus Christ and to spend time in worship of him. And one of the ways we can worship him is by doing, doing things like being humble and approaching things that way. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a church filled like this woman that walks in the room and just has the humility to just worship and worship at Jesus' feet while everyone around her is saying things like, who, how dare she? Who, why is she this way? What is she doing? I can't believe she's in here. God, let us put blinders on. Give us direction, a laser focus on how we need to worship you in this time. God, help us to be humble. Even, even out, outside the church and inside the church, we all have differing opinions about a lot of issues, and it seems like we forgot about the, the responsibility and the ability to agree to disagree, to respectfully disagree with someone. And so, God, we ask that we as a church would be humble enough to realize what is most important and what your word says is most important. Allow us to have the deepest part of our hearts pursue you in worship. Let us, let us realize that Jesus did pay it all and that we can jump off the treadmill, jump off what, what might be called the rat race, and pursue him at the pace that we can. Allow us to love Jesus like the woman did. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sunlight. See you next Sunday.